the naturally occurring psychoactive compound psilocybin is found in over 200 species of mushrooms. Despite their millennia of use by humans for mental and spiritual well-being, they have been classified falsely among the most dangerous and illegal of substances. Locked away from those who need them most. The Psilocybin Chronicles documents the individuals who courageously consume, collect, or cultivate these mushrooms to improve the quality of their lives. Won't you join us as we welcome the return of psilocybin? Welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles. I am your host, Eric Osborne. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you have heard of the nonprofit organization MAPS. If you didn't know or you've never heard of MAPS, this acronym stands for Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Aside from helping to move psychedelics such as psilocybin into the public view, MAPS has done some very important work in what psychedelic professionals call harm reduction. While the bulk of MAPS' work is geared towards advancing clinical studies, the group also recognizes the widespread use of psychedelics in a non-medical application. And while psychedelics are generally considered safe, we must also recognize the risks involved. In an effort to ameliorate some of these risks, particularly in the festival scene, MAPS formed the Zendo Project to help serve this population and prevent unnecessary negative outcomes. From their website, maps.org, the Zendo Project mission statement reads, It is our mission to, one, provide a supportive space for guests undergoing difficult psychedelic experiences or other psychological emergencies in order to transform potentially traumatic experiences into valuable learning opportunities and to reduce the number of drug-related psychiatric hospitalizations. Two, to provide an environment where volunteers can work alongside one another to improve their therapeutic skills and receive training and feedback. And three, to demonstrate that the psychedelic community can take care of its own without the need for law enforcement-based policies. These are important goals, and this episode highlights exactly why information and education is so very important and why silence around psychedelics is significantly more dangerous than an open dialogue. The conversation you're about to listen to is one of the more difficult ones that I've had with a guest. And while there are many positive elements to this story, I cannot help but acknowledge how a little bit of knowledge could save many lives. Please understand, I do not encourage illegal activity. I know firsthand the consequences of administering or cultivating psilocybin outside of the law. Much of the work that I'm doing with Michael Meditations and Pledge and the Psilocybin Chronicles is meant to reduce the harm and the risk that comes along with consuming these mind-altering substances. My guest this episode is Jamie Pratt. Jamie is a part-time screen printer and a full-time stay-at-home cat dad. He spent many years immersed in the Louisville music community as a promoter, venue proprietor, and record label owner. Before grief over the death of his younger brother in a psilocybin mushroom-related accident caused him to withdraw, Jamie was also a traveling musician. He currently spends his time writing, gardening, and traveling when he isn't slowly re-entering the world. A fellow Louisvillian, Jamie, joined us on the retreat this year. Jamie and I did not know each other prior to meeting in Jamaica, but I have a feeling that this new friend and I will be spending some time together in the States as well. His story touches my heart. And his courage in sharing it, I'm sure, will be an inspiration to you. And hopefully, 
it will also remind us of the importance of harm reduction and that while, as I've mentioned many times, psilocybin is physiologically safe, that does not mean it is without risks. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you, like myself, gain an even greater respect for the mushroom and the care that is required in engaging with this very powerful substance. All right, Jamie, thank you for joining me on the Psilocybin Chronicles. It's a pleasure to sit down with you again. Very, Thanks for having me. <laughs> very, very different uh, yeah. territory. This isn't where we left the car. No, this is not. <laughs> this is not where we got off the bus. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really, really awesome to me to be coming back and in Kentucky and being able to have a close personal contact with someone that joined us in Jamaica. That's really yeah. rare. Um, well, it's it's pretty crazy that. We're just down the street from each other, but we had to go to a completely different country to meet each other. Well, you know, it, the irony um, hits me all the time that my community is becoming global through Jamaica, right? Um, the, the friends that I'm getting the closest to right now are people who are coming from all around the world. Yeah. And so it's, it's ironic to me that I leave my home city and go and make friends and build community elsewhere. So it's... It's really, it really means a lot to me, honestly, man, to, to have you here and to know that, like, that that connection continues and that that community uh, can be here. You know, it's possible. It is possible. To it be is here, possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the struggles about the community here locally, and and that's all stuff that we can talk about later. And I don't, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the, all that. I want to jump right into the meat of our conversation. So. Uh, as I always like to ask, uh, if there was one person who you could dose mushrooms with through time and history, uh, who, who might that be? Uh, I think the person that comes to mind immediately for me would be Joe Strummer from The Clash. Oh, okay. Because um, he was someone who was like top of the world and let his whole ego just destroy his whole life. Mm-hmm. And he kind of fell down into the muck. And during that period, he discovered like communal living and hippie life and turned into this like blissful character and i'm pretty sure he probably dosed during that time because mm-hmm. he totally you know everything about him changed from anger to peace hmm. so i think like he would have a very good perspective to share through that kind of a trip and can, can you can you see that transition in his musical career oh yeah yeah huh. if you compare like the clash kind of anger and then he disappears for 10 years in music and then comes back with this like Kind of like blissful, almost trippy reggae folk project, the Mescaleros, where he's just—I'd <laughs> say he was dosing. Yeah, it's the mes- yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. because band was called the Mescaleros, so something was going on there. <laughs> but it, it, it just his whole attitude had changed, huh. and he didn't have an ego about it. He just enjoyed performance at that point, and it was just a total flip in him. Interesting. Um, and he, no, I think he died very happy. Huh. Oh, wow. I have to look into that. That's a, that sounds yeah. like a real interesting story. Huh. So let's talk about your um, for initial exposures to psilocybin, uh, even from a theoretical standpoint. Um, I don't really remember, like, the theory. I just I, It's one of those just things that show up in the Louisville party scene every once in a while. And I was out, I was out uh, you know, hanging out with some friends in this warehouse and someone brought it out and all 12 of us dosed and it was very much just like a 
you know, I was in the state of mind in my, that time where I was open to new experience and just kind of went with it. And we just ended up having like a crazy carnival party night, you know, in the warehouse and wearing capes and climbing around the rafter, you know, just total like goofy night. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was my first exposure. Had, had you even heard of psilocybin before that or magic mushrooms? Um, How old were you? I was been probably 23, 24, somewhere in there. I'm sure I'd heard of it, but I didn't really have a frame of reference. For just it just wasn't on your radar, yeah, basically. Yeah. For me, it was just like, I knew I didn't want to do LSD because I didn't trust the chemical process of making it or who was making it. And if I didn't know who was making it, I wouldn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um but stuff like mushrooms or you know cannabis, had I had never been afraid of because to me they were just more natural. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, oh, it's this plant that does this thing to you, and um, I didn't have like that fear of it. So right. I, I, it just appeared. I went with it. Um, and I guess you guys just ate whatever you ate a handful. You didn't measure well, it, away. It, it was in chocolate, so I have no oh, idea okay. how much okay. I had. Um, and it was just kind of like I trusted the person who was. Mm. dosing everybody to you know not make us lose our minds yes, send you to the outer space um, which now that I've had this experience with you I'm just like ah oh, that was just that could have been all bad <laughs> <laughs> there were a few times in the past where I uh, dosed people a little heavier than intended I mean some teas like yeah uh, like seven years ago I remember I had a small party to house and I just made tea and it just like three people just got blasted you know yeah. and so that consistency and yeah there's there's definitely um, good reason to be mindful of who you are um, dosing with and who you are taking these substances from so yeah. well, after that how did the relationship develop um it's one of those just every once in a while someone would be like oh, i found some and you know a couple times would just be more of like a you know friends getting together to listen to music and then you know dose and those were more i guess spiritual than any of the other experiences i had where you know, it wasn't this just a party. It was everyone had their own individual take on it. And some people, you know, in one of those, someone kind of manifested some childhood trauma that they didn't even know existed mm. and like kind of went into like a little bit of a PTSD like moment with it where they were re reliving this moment okay. where they were abused. Uh -huh. um, and then oh. we, you know, made sure that they were safe and comfortable and kind of put them under this like beautiful tree. And they like sat there and like fell in love with this tree while they were working through mm. that trauma a little bit. So I think, you know, that wasn't the second time I ever took it. So I think I already, you know, had experienced like both sides of the drug by that mm -hmm. point where it's like you, you can party with it, but you can also like get to some deep stuff. Right. Right. So in that scenario, did you, was there any kind of like follow up with that individual? Did they, did the thing just happen and nobody talked about it, or did you discuss it later? Um, we talked about it a little bit, um, probably not as much as we should have. I mean, mm -hmm. we were twenty four and right. still kids, and it was more just like, "Whoa, that came up. Are you you're, you're doing okay?" Mm -hmm. You know, we would mm -hmm. check in, but I don't I don't know if he ever like went to therapy for that or worked through that again. Right. Um, he seems like he's doing better in general, but. I, 
it probably should have been followed up a lot more. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a lot of what happens, you know, people are having these experiences and the legal nature or the lack of knowledge around it. It's like you have this experience and then it gets weird and people are uncomfortable about talking about it or like, Oh, what do I do? How do I help? And I don't know what to do. And then, so a lot gets left behind. Um, I think, uh, you know, obviously you have a, um, a very profound story about the mismanagement of, um, psilocybin mm-hmm. um that um i, I know it, it, it's, it surely can't be easy to talk about um i think it's easier after this last trip where i dealt with a lot of that mm-hmm. um not this last trip like dosing but the right. trip to jamaica um so yeah my third experience after this experience with the person um wasn't actually my own experience. It was my brother's experience. Um, he was away at college for his summer, first semester of school and dosed. And he, I don't, he had no experience with it before, no prior knowledge. I don't think anyone was there with him. I think he was just, oh, I'm going to try this thing. Oh, it's, mm. you know, it's like weed. I, I can handle this. Um, didn't handle it. He ended up... Uh, kind of run around the dorm naked, um, popping in and out of people's rooms. And at some point, someone called security, and he, you know, saw authority, fear, you know, and ran, and security chased him. Um, and he went to go hide in his room, and what he thought was the closet was actually the window to his dorm room, and he fell 28 stories to his death. Um, and... Yeah, so that was my uh, third experience with mushrooms. Was a very tragic one. Um, and how did how did your family respond and process this? What type of how much information were you given by his friends and those that knew what was going on? As to, you know, to the whole scenario. Um, we didn't know a lot of his friends who were at the school. Um, it was, you know, he had a really tight community in Louisville because he was part of the music scene. And we talked to a lot of them, but they didn't really have a perspective on that night or the mm-hmm. events leading up to that night. Um, my father, who hadn't spoken to either of us in years, we had kind of cut him off after my parents got divorced because he you know, never made an effort really. Um, he kind of came out of nowhere and tried to file a lawsuit against the school. Um, and me and my mom had to put an end to that because we, we, it was no one's fault, you know, you know, yes, security probably could handle it better, but, you know, shit happens. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to happen like that. Yeah. You know, so you all are, you're certain that this was not, uh, an a suicide attempt. Oh, absolutely. You know, it was um, purely well, um, as a way to end his suit, we filed our own suit with a lawyer we trusted who wasn't like the person that my dad was using was one of those ambulance chains chasing like, um, you know, just people who prey on tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very obvious. Um, so we got someone we trusted to get all the police reports and he, you know, did the legal research. It was like, no, there's no legal precedent for this. You know, there's this, this case, this case, this case where stuff like this with schools gets thrown out. Like this isn't worth pursuing. And he gave me the file. Um, and I was the one 
in the family who read the file and read all the like firsthand accounts from the people there um, and really like synthesized the story for the rest of the family. Mm. I, I took that on myself and it was probably pretty damaging that I did that um, in terms of my own healing because it was like a little too much information. Right. Um, but, you know, it was very obvious where he, he was blissful. He was he was walking into people's rooms and just hanging out and having a good time and like just being his funny self. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the, his roommate was actually in the room and oh, saw man. what happened. Yeah. Um, so there was a very clear like firsthand account of seeing the the you know, person full of terror running through the room, mm-hmm. being chased by somebody. Like, right. um, Holy fuck! Yeah. Oh man. So, I can't even, I can't even find words to tell you how just courageous I think that it is that you went back to psilocybin, knowing what could have come out. Yeah. Well, I knew what could have come out, but I also knew the good it does. You know, the the previous times I had done it, you know, I wasn't necessarily working through major trauma or anything, but I definitely felt better about the world mm-hmm. um, and felt more connected to people afterwards. And, you know, I did dose a couple times on my own after my brother died, um, but it was just, I was still pretty dark in, in the grief. I didn't take enough to really get into that. And I was surrounded by people that I didn't trust or feel safe with. Mm -hmm. So it was bad times. Um, or just, you know, completely, uh, goofy, uh, avoidant times, you know, Mm -hmm. um, not, neither one of them were very healthy. So it's like, I knew, I, I think in my mind, I knew it was something I would have to do eventually, possibly just to confront his last experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but also knowing that it was a good tool for getting through my own grief and trauma and like depression. Um, but, you know, having a couple bad experiences, I think maybe shelve it until I felt ready for it. Mm-hmm. And I just happened upon this whole retreat when I was really ready for it. So how, how did, how did it unfold once you got into a scenario where you could focus and take a high enough dose? How did you process or what did you find your experience unfolding, unfolding in your experience that kind of maybe helped you work through that grief further? Um, none of my like dosing in our retreat had anything directly to do with the grief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, I've had multiple people in my family die since then. So, like, I was expecting it to be all about the grief mm-hmm. um, going in. And maybe me having that expectation changed it. You know, mm-hmm. I think maybe mm-hmm. if I had gone in expecting something else, it might have come out more. Mm-hmm. But for me, the initial dose was my overwhelming urge was to go check on everybody else there. And I had like connected to all of their stories so much that I was like almost like physically compelled to go like check on them. Mm -hmm. And I had to like force myself to sit there with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I forced myself to not move and just really um, just be there with the mushroom. And that's kind of when I started getting more visual hallucinations and like, 
really just kind of laughing and like seeing the the people around me and what they were doing and as like a, a black and white noir movie and kind of coming up with narratives for all the people there within this movie you know it was, it was like a just like a, i felt very creative all of a sudden mm-hmm. and it was that's something i had lost in grief um and one of the facilitators came up and talked to me um about her brother who had died and her experience with mushrooms processing that and it, w- it was like i was able to flip and just be present with her and like experience her story but I, it, it, it didn't really relate back to my own brother at, at least in the moment i don't you know i think it made me feel better about it for sure afterwards but it it, it just felt good to be able to like talk about mm-hmm. that stuff and mm-hmm. it was like something mm-hmm. i had never been able to do of just like have a natural conversation about right. it um so I think that 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 was the breakthrough there with that. Yeah, yeah, we, we see that a lot. You know that these difficult subjects are can be much easier to talk about mm-hmm. in that state, um, which you know it it might not be a direct like processing or going through some tra- reliving some trauma or whatever, but you know just being able to normalize and talk about these things yeah. that are that especially death is something that our culture just avoids avoids yeah. avoids. Yeah, we're terrible about it. So to sit there. In, in you know the mushroom space is kind of that in between space too you know yeah. it's like I don't know we can talk I, th- I think that I found it it easier to talk about and explore the idea of death in the psychedelic space because in the psychedelic space death doesn't seem relevant doesn't to seem, me doesn't seem relevant but you can also like almost experience death yeah um, and then you can kind of be reborn after your death i guess that's why i say it it doesn't seem relevant um because it is like so close to that experience so it's like why why i guess the the worry around death the fear around death is not relevant when you're in that space because it's it's kind of like halfway there anyhow yeah which makes sense why people like huxley were dosing themselves on their deathbed like like, like help it with that anxiety of death yeah yeah transition mm-hmm. uh man i don't know I, i've thought about you a lot since we've gotten back and wondered um kind of how that process may have continued to unfold and and your reflections on your relationship with him um you know it, for for me psilocybin has definitely helped me uh find a lot of reconciliation um and mm-hmm. feel like i have a cousin who passed away very early and um i have felt such a like an, an, an i've just been so much more okay and I, I feel more connected to her now than i have in years because of these experiences and you know they're just kind of I, I i'm interested to know if you have have felt any of that if it makes any sense what i'm saying yeah um i don't know if i've felt so much about my brother because that you know that was 12 years ago Mm -hmm. so i think i have a little bit more distance Mm -hmm. to that experience um but my mom passed two years ago and i'm still in the process of going through her home it's Mm -hmm. my home now and Mm -hmm. trying to synthesize her stuff with mine and 
get rid of things, but keep memory. You know, it's 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 a comp- complicated period where, you know, you don't want to just clear cut everything and right. clear the house out. You want you want some reminders there, but it's also what level of that is healthy. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I think I've definitely had a, a different perspective on that since I've been home where it doesn't feel so daunting to navigate that. Mm. Um, and it, you know, it's helped me with feeling connected to her. And like I've, she was a huge gardener. Um, mm. And since I've been home, I've, taken that up you know mm. i've let the garden go in the, mm-hmm. at the house for years and it you know it's it's it needs some work now because mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't do that with a garden um so it's felt really good to just kind of like put on the gardening hat and go work in the yard nice. and um and you know the hummingbirds and the butterflies are starting to come this time of year and she used to love that mm-hmm. um so it's been a, bringing a lot of just like happy memories of being with her in the yard while she's working and just hanging out. Um, and that's definitely helped with like feeling connected to her and feeling like, I think she would be proud of like the progress I've made and Mm -hmm. like, like how good I'm feeling. And it's made me happy. That's great to hear, man. Yeah. That's great to hear. For me, gardening is one of the best integration tools. Yeah. You know, uh, something about connecting to earth and those, like I said, the hummingbirds and the butterflies and and Um, all the like, one one interesting thing I've found since I've been home is like I don't want to be inside. Like mm. Jamaica was so hot, and mm. I got so used to just being outside that like being in air conditioning is a little like disconcerting yeah. for me. And yeah. like, and it's helped me kind of keep that headspace that we had in Jamaica, just being outside and and you know listening to rate, you know keeping the background mm-hmm. the the same has helped me maintain that that headspace yeah. and, and, and feel like I'm still like in the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's I'm, your, what's your relationship with community been like since you've been home? Um, a lot better. I've been calling friends and going out to eat with them and going to see them like more than I have in years. Um, that's something I was very like conscious of having to work on immediately when I got home. And then I, I really hit the ground running with that. Um, what's the response from your friends been like? they've been like blown away. Yeah. Yeah. Like they can see a difference before we even interact. Um, and they're, they're very happy for me. And, um, you know, people who have known me for years have been saying like, Oh, you, you finally seem like yourself again. Mm. Like, um, which has been wonderful to hear and like very encouraging and makes me continue with the work. Mm -hmm. Um, and continue connecting with people. Um, I think it, there is a challenge with my life where a lot of my people are spread out around the country. Like a lot of my really close friends from here have moved away long mm-hmm. ago. Um, so it's hard to not be able to like see as many people face to face as I would like. Um, and I know there's like more work to be done here of like, um, making an effort to meet new people mm-hmm. and build that physical community in my immediate surroundings. Um, but that doesn't seem as daunting as it, it used to be. It used to be like, give me such a like major anxiety to even like think about navigating that, especially like all that stuff gets so much harder as an adult. And, yeah. and uh, it's not like you're just going to a party and like, Oh, I found my friends for the year, you know, <laughs> like, until we, <laughs> yeah. until we, you know, go our separate way, you know, um, that's not how it works anymore. Um, but I don't feel as like totally overwhelmed with the thought of it anymore. 
I wonder how much of that is um, psilocybin and how much of that is Jamaica. Well, and the the retreat community itself. Right, the community Um, retreat. I think there's a natural tendency when you're in pain to withdraw from the group and it's partially self-protection because you don't want to get hurt more, but it's also you're protecting the group Mm -hmm. from your pain. I think it's almost like a biological urge um, to protect the the tribe from your pain. Mm -hmm. So to be around a group of people who are all in pain, like I think you feel safe forming attachment and community with people because you're all in it together and you don't, you're not putting your own issues on someone who you don't think can handle it because right. they're right there with that's you. There for, yeah. um, so it, I think that's an important aspect of it, but also Jamaica is just so welcoming and friendly mm-hmm. and beautiful. And, and the I, culture there is very communal. Yeah. So seeing that, and then come back to this. I'm just like, no, 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 no. We gotta, we're gonna keep this going. Yeah, you know, we're, here we are. Like even where we sit right now on the street, people are boxing their houses. I mean, we do a talk with our neighbors and whatnot, but it's just not anything like that. Where you wake up, you go outside. Somebody else is outside. Somebody's walking around, and um, so uh, or, or even just the acknowledgement of people on the street. Oh my gosh, where, right? Yeah, we're walking around. Everybody's like, hey, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, man, respect. You know, like, so like here, do you find yourself doing that here? Yeah. Um, I find myself looking people in the eye more right. and it, it give, you know, acknowledging them. Um, yeah, not saying Yaman to everybody in the street. No, no, no. acknowledging <laughs> yes, them. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I don't think I was there long enough to really make the vernacular part of my everyday life. You know, <laughs> we'll see you after you're there for a couple months and you'll be talking like that, but, um, which will be funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> boy, I'm making chat pot wall right now. I'm you see it. <laughs> Um, yeah but yeah i think i've I've been more aware of it and just the day-to-day um kind of pleasantries with you know the person at the coffee shop Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. instead of just like just give me my coffee i'm like hey how are you doing (laughs) i actually care about you yeah oh you're nice like you're you see me all the time yeah 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 i should at least be able to say hi you know oh (laughs) man well it is so true. It's so true. So I am really personally on the personal level, what I'm really interested in knowing and even more so seeing um, your creativity and how that how, how you're reintegrating creativity back into your life. Um, it's been kind of amazing. Um, I've written over 100 pages about the retreat in the aftermath. Wow. Like, um you know, I used to write every day, like many, many years ago, and like that's kind of where I was. My trajectory was kind of going towards writing at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been just spewing it out on, on the paper, um, and most of that is like journal and like integrating my experience right now. But uh, I'm also making notes for story ideas that are popping up mm-hmm. while I'm working on this other stuff. Um, so I'm. After I'm feeling a little more integrated, I'm, you know, my to-do list there is growing and growing and growing. Okay. And I've also picked up my guitar for the first time in multiple years um, and just wrote some bass lines and, you know, learned a song and just like felt joyous playing music again. Um, Because you are a fucking musician, man. You love music. You are a music lover. Yeah. And I'm so happy to hear that that is coming back. Yeah. Well, and part of my grief was 
I didn't listen to music for multiple years, like at all. Really? Yeah. I went from running a like a music venue where, you know, I put on 400 shows in two and a half years and sold, you know, thousand bands or whatever, um, to silence. What? Because I was, I felt like that's all I had done with my life and I needed to do something else, but I didn't really know how to get there or how to do it. And I just, I completely disconnected from that community and from the, that experience. And that was terrible idea. (laughs) 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 Um, That was the worst thing I could have done. Um, Talk about self-sabotage, but you know, it it feels great even just listening to music and like, connecting with the lyrics and you know being inspired in that way um and you know, I, I, even just like cooking i'm cooking again you know like that's creative too yeah like, oh yeah um gardening is creative gardening is great yeah it's just i've been active mm-hmm. and i didn't it, 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 it's not even I, i'm not even forcing it or thinking about it i'm just doing it i'm getting up every day still on jamaica time like mm-hmm. oh it's 7 a.m like I'm up like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I write and then I work in the yard or clean or garden or just, I'm just active. So you said when you talked about writing, you said the, the aftermath, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, indicates that the, the results aren't all, um, butterflies and hummingbirds. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> there are, there are, uh, things that we have to to deal with after these experiences. Yeah. And uh, what have you been encountering there? Well, I think it's overwhelming just to be back in American culture where everyone's so isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes back to the difference between Jamaica and here. Um, that's definitely part of it of just just that culture shock mm-hmm. of and like the 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 constant noise of the city and people and it's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So. That that's a big challenge, um, but the biggest challenge is like all your problems don't just magically go away. All the mm-hmm. stuff that's wrong with your life is still there. You just you have a different perspective on it. So for me, it's you know I, I've had a lot of problems in my relationship, you know, leading up to this over the past couple of years, um, you know. Both people in the relationship had their own traumas and grief, and we definitely played off each other with that. So it's, you know, I'm coming home feeling a lot better about all of those things. And it's been a challenge integrating with my partner again um, because they aren't feeling about, better about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really explosive and, um, Lots of lots of fights, lots of long, exhausting emotional talks. Um, Do you feel like you're handling those situations differently than you would have before? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. In what ways? Um, How you're managing the responses to those types of conflicts? Okay. Before the experience with Jamaica, I internalized a lot more than I should have. I overanalyze situations i would be afraid to speak my voice i would um be very self-sacrificial and not express my needs i would just help be constantly helping the other person um to the point where it was really damaging and now i am 
be more assertive about what I want and where my needs are. Um, and that's a completely new thing for the relationship, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and it's like our entire relationship was based on a, a completely different precedent. Um, mm-hmm. So we're having trouble finding the middle ground there mm-hmm. to where neither one of us feels like we're giving too much to the other person to where we're um, just in this kind of dysfunctional caretaker role. Cause we've, we've traded back and forth on who's the caretaker, you know, depending on which person is going through trauma in the relationship. Cause mm-hmm. there's been death and um, school issues and, and job loss. And, you know, there's been all sorts of like life stuff happening that we've traded off on caretaking for the other person through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like both of us never really found a, a good middle ground of being there for the other person, but taking care of ourselves. And now I'm hyper aware of that. Um, and I've also like, I'm so full of fear of losing this feeling that I have after the retreat mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm definitely, fiercely defending that probably to a fault um and you know i don't want to let that feeling go so i'm almost i'm putting up more walls i think a little bit right well i mean you know there is a um there's definitely value in self-preservation and maintaining your health you know and um one of the things that people often see through their psychedelic experience is that they have either not defined boundaries clear enough, or they have built up too many boundaries, right? So that middle ground is obviously so important. Yeah. And this experience that you're having within the relationship um, is, is, is common, not just from psychedelic work, uh, but anytime one member of a relationship goes and makes, does anything to really, breakthrough trauma to heal themselves and the other person doesn't um it's going to create that distance uh it it you know our cultural knowledge around the outcome of uh, a psilocybin therapeutic experience uh, doesn't really allow for like your partner to have been prepared for what is going to happen what is going to come home to her, you know, or vice versa. Um, and that's something that I think we at Michael Meditations need to continually try to communicate and improve on is support for those who are at home still. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm fortunate with her because she has taken psychedelics before when she was younger and at least has a frame of reference mm-hmm. for my experience and mm-hmm. what happened. Um, so I think that part of it is easier to navigate. You know, I don't have to spend four hours explaining right. justifying like yeah. how the experience happened and unfolded. I have, mm-hmm. I, I, I was able to jump right into like, here's what I got out of it, um, which helped. And I think I could, I could see how partners who have no frame of reference whatsoever, it'd be a whole even new challenge. Yeah. Um, cause it's hard enough. You know, I think it would be hard enough coming back to a healthy relationship even. Can and just, be, right, you know? right. So for one that's definitely not healthy, it's, it's 
trying to edit yeah, yeah, my, yeah. My, my, my words. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, no, it's, it's okay. I understand. It's a difficult thing to talk about. I mean, this is very personal. I just want to say a shit show. <laughs> and look, sometimes they are, yeah. man. Sometimes relationships are, my wife and I, you know, five years have been together and there have been some shit shows in there, you know? So um, I guess, you know, for me, what it's always about is, are we both willing to do the work that's necessary? I've been in relationships where the other person wouldn't do the work. And for me, fortunately, that person bailed because I kept trying to do the work and it was just unhealthy, you know. So, um, and everybody has to find that themselves and, and, and know when and how, you know, how to make the most healthy decision. And, like, that's what my concern for all of us is, is that we're just doing what's the healthiest thing, you know. And I, I'm really pleased and confident um, in your uh, reintegration of these healthy forms of expression back into your life. And no matter what happens, I think as long as you maintain some practices that allow you to continue processing, then you're going to move in a trajectory towards health. Yeah, it definitely feels like that. It definitely feels like I would have to really mess up to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, meeting all these amazing people really helped too like that alone was powerful just Mm -hmm. in knowing there's people out there you can relate to Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. you know will open their hearts to you because i mean we spend so much time thinking like this is just me i live in this world alone and then yeah yeah, you go out there and you see and hear what other people have been through it's like oh wait somebody's on my side i've got somebody with me in this you know and uh, it was really, really awesome seeing you and everybody, but seeing you open up there in Jamaica towards people and build friendships there. Um, yeah. You it, and Willa really seemed to connect yeah, uh, deeply. Well, yeah, that was great. And we've, we, you know, we've kept in touch since then. We've mm-hmm. been buds since then. Um, yeah, that was really great. Like, I, I, was, I knew I would get something out of it, but I wasn't expecting to to open up so quickly and then become, I don't want to sound conceited saying that, but like, like an integral part of the group where Mm -hmm. I, like I felt like a touchstone for other people. Oh, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And like, I felt like I, I did work for myself. And then my second half of the retreat, I was, I was happy to be there for other people doing the work Mm -hmm. and like, and really getting a lot out of that, of just channeling their energy positive and negative into myself in a healthy way mm-hmm. where it didn't feel like I was getting torn down. It felt like I was energized. Mm-hmm. Like I felt good being there for everybody. Um, and that's completely different experience for me. You know, I've always felt so drained mm-hmm. by social situations. Um, so it was really good for me to, to come out of it feeling energized by one. When you are in social situations since you've been back, like the concerts that you've been to and whatnot, or how are you feeling afterwards? It's complicated because it's wrapped up into the other stuff that's going on with mm-hmm. my relationship. Mm-hmm. So, like, those times have been bad, but it's more because stuff happens that triggers us down the, the, mm-hmm. the we need to talk about this stuff route. Mm-hmm. But in the, in the other, you know, in the in between, I feel great. You know, I feel happy to run into people I know and just, you know, shoot the shit for a minute and like move on. And, um, I don't feel like full of anxiety about it. I don't feel like they're expecting me to be a certain way. You know, 
so much so much of like growing up in this in one place and staying there most of your life like people have like a set expectation of you or mm-hmm. set image of you mm-hmm. and a lot of people have a hard time letting go of that um you know i went through a period where i didn't drink at all um and i would try to go out in public and be you know social and re-engage with my community a little bit and like people couldn't accept that i wasn't drinking anymore and mm-hmm. like got upset about yeah. it you know they wanted me to be the party guy again and they want they wouldn't let me not be that guy mm-hmm. um so it's felt really different going out now and you know it's it, it, that stuff may be there i don't know but i'm not it's not affecting me if it is mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not i'm not reading it mm-hmm. i'm just i'm more myself well you know all the challenges all the difficulties in life they're always going to be there you know psilocybin whatever drug none of these things take away life's challenges they don't change the, the the people they don't they may change the way that we interact with those situations and with the people yeah. uh, and that's where the value is well for me the psilocybin it felt like mindfulness therapy like 20 years of mindfulness therapy mm-hmm. in a night mm-hmm. where you you wake up the next day and you see the colors more vibrantly you see the people around you more clearly you your your just your attention and your focus on the world is different. Mm-hmm. It's more present, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. I think that's one of the most powerful things about absolutely, that absolutely. Um, What's more important than right now, yeah. you know, and wherever we are, and really valuing that, and doing our best to like clearly communicate and really be present, and you know, yeah. So, well, what do you think about uh, the future of psilocybin, or what are your hopes? Do you think that this is a, a viable therapy uh, for the public at large? Absolutely. Um, I I hope that it doesn't get you know sterilized. They can do some scientific studies that aren't people locked in a terrifying room <laughs> and uh, hooked up to equipment. You know, you know, maybe studying more group retreat atmospheres, or you know, because I think. It's not a drug that you can get a whole lot out of by yourself without a frame of reference. I think doing it with people is part of the power power mm. of the drug. Um, so I would like to see more study for that, but I also would like it to be more normalized mm. to where people who wanted to experiment, experiment with it on their own didn't feel like they had to hide so much mm. and didn't have to get it from you know, maybe a sketchy situation or, yeah. um, not tell anyone they're doing it. So they're not safe. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of just normalizing it would I mean, take away so many problems. You have it. to have thought about this a million times, you know, if, if there was an educated response to your brother's situation, then he would probably still be here with us today. Yeah. You know? Or even if he had, the frame of reference to talk to me about my experience before he Beforehand, did it because or, his, one of his friends was present when I dosed, you know, a, few, a month before he died. Uh-huh. Um, so I know part of him doing it was probably hearing that I did it. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. and there's definitely some guilt oh, I had to overcome yeah, with wow. that. Yeah. Um, and you know, if it, yeah. You are a brave motherfucker, my friend. <laughs> For real. Um, well, thank you. Um, wow. 
so you know i think if we had even been able to talk about it it would have turned yeah. differently yeah. um yeah well thank you so much thank you so much for participating in that group you really were a, a huge contribution and a massive support to um, people around you well, and thanks for having me it was amazing and i feel so grateful and lucky that i found it yeah yeah i'm really i feel really grateful that you found it as well um well let's let's normalize it one step further let's put it on a billboard <laughs> a billboard <laughs> a billboard what's that billboard gonna say uh, i'm gonna say psilocybin do the work oh i like it i like it because it's a it's a tool for the work exactly but the work is still yours to do exactly exactly you mean yeah there's there's no running from the work we pretend we run and run and we just find ourselves in more trouble and yep. deeper mud so yep. yeah just be here now face it and do the work do the work well, it sounds it's like not, you're, you're doing the work, and the work can be joyful too, right? You're yes, getting back yes. into the music, the gardening. There's a lot of joy in the work. There's also challenges in the work, and I really, really admire you speaking about it. You speaking about it and being open about the difficulties is part of the work as well. Yeah, it's not all hunky dory, you know. No, man, so it gets ugly. It gets rough. It is not always laughing. Yeah, it's well, not always angels and aliens. No, no. Um, and I think that's that's one of the challenges I faced with reintegration is people think I was down there just partying and having yeah. a good time. Yeah. When yeah, I was having a good time sometimes, but I was also mm-hmm. working. It was right. it was exhausting. Yeah. Um. I think if we didn't have days off where we didn't really do anything mm-hmm. towards the end, like we all would have just crashed yeah. and burned because yeah. we were exhausted. That was that was really one of the I would I don't know if heavy is the right word, uh, but it was an intense group. There was a lot of a lot of individual trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, deep, deep stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and everyone came there like ready to ready work to and like fight the war. We yeah. were, we were like, we're we're sick of this. We're gonna yeah. do this work, and we dove right in. Yeah, and it was outstanding to see, I and mean, that's that's why we saw so much progress. You know, so yeah, it was amazing watching everybody open up mm-hmm. as the week went on. Like it mm-hmm. felt really good. Even even you know Nick. Like, oh no, I just got a story about him yesterday. He's continuing to open up. Awesome. Yes. Like, yeah, it was great where he was in the shadow when he got there. And by the end, he was cracking jokes Mm -hmm. and part of the group. And it was amazing. I really have one of the greatest jobs on this planet. (laughs) You do. I'm so great. And you're very good at it. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. And I am uh, looking forward to our uh, less formal times where we just get out and Maybe go enjoy some music or a mm-hmm. drink or walking in the park. Or, or a nice bonfire. Picking or a bonfire. <laughs> All kinds of fun things. <laughs> oh, <we can> man. <laughs> Friends. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. All right, brother. Thanks yeah. for joining me yeah. again. Thank you. Ah, friends. That is one authentic human being. Jamie, you are a beautiful soul, and it is a pleasure, truly a pleasure to know you. You have a big heart, brother, and you're a light in the shadows. I'm going to close out with a song that is one of my personal favorites uh, and was just too fitting to pass up, especially considering where Jamie and I first met. Uh, You may have, or I'm sure you've heard this song before, (laughs) most likely from its original author, Robert Nesta Marley, also known as Bob Marley. 
This version, however, is performed by Joe Strummer, who Jimmy mentioned he would like to eat some mushrooms with, uh, and his band, the Mescaleros. Pay close attention to the spoken words of Joe at the beginning and the song following. Jamie, this one's for you, brother. You are a redeemer, and you have my utmost respect. I'd like to say that people, people can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. I don't, show me any country, and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Pirates, yes, they rob I Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the hand of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption songs Redemption songs Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our minds Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it we got to fulfill the book So won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption songs Yes, they rob I Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it we got to fulfill the book So won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption songs Songs of freedom These songs 
freedom. 